Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. Today we will take a look at Psalm 42, where we read about longing for God in times of difficulties. Lucas Marsek will point out several things we can learn from the psalmist about what to do when we are down. When we are overwhelmed by struggles and depressions, how can we find hope in God's assurance and promises? Well, join us now to find out more. Thank you for having me. I have a cat. I have a cat, and she's pretty old by now. And as a side effect of aging, you know, her kidneys don't work as well anymore. So her kidney problem, she can, she can compensate that kidney problem by drinking more and more water, uh, more than usual. The problem is that I have I always had with her is, you know, when you put down a water bowl for the cat, and if the water is like older than 10 minutes, she doesn't like it anymore. So she looks for different kinds of water sources in the apartment, and she finds them everywhere. Like she, you can sometimes find her drinking water from the kitchen sink. You find her drinking water uh, in the shower, like some some leftover drops in the in the shower. Uh, once I was sitting in the living room, and I heard this characteristic, this schlap, 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 schlap. And I looked, and I didn't see her, and I looked around the corner, and there was she, like she was behind some, some, some plant, and there was a, a water pot, and she was drinking out of the water pot. So I'm really fascinated that my cat can find all kinds of different water sources in, like, an, in just a regular apartment. And I got I to gotta point out... Um, she does have some style. I've never caught her drinking out of the toilet yet. Okay, so she, she's beyond that so far, so far. Uh, but it's, it's incredible how can, she can smell water in the most unusual places. And yeah, why am I telling you that? Uh, very simple. Because I want you to know that God is here. All right? So we can have the closing song now or... Shall I elaborate a little, little bit more? Uh, I probably have some time, so I'll, I'll, I'll explain myself. Okay? So, yeah, once again, I'm, I'm very thankful to be here. Like, as Björn t- pointed out, I've, I've spent a lot of time here before uh, and, yeah, have in the flesh and in the spirit. So it's, it's good to see you all again. And it's my prayer that, um, yeah, I can just bring you in the next half an hour so I can bring you something that will help you grow in your faith that we can learn to know God better. Uh, but I will probably not succeed if I keep on talking about dogs and cats and birds and, and the like. So I think it's much, much better if we turn to the Word of God and open up Psalm 42 today. So Psalm 42 uh, is a very special psalm. And let's just read it together. It's not a very long psalm. So I think you can see it up here as well. It says here, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to God under the protection of the mighty one. Throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? 
put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. But it's his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why, why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why is it disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That's and this song with with an image with brought your picture in a minute. Uh, so what is I'm getting a free massage now. <laughs> So, yeah, where's, the, where's my image? Where's my picture? Uh, so, I mean, you, you all know what a deer looks like. There's many kinds of deers. <clears throat> but why does the psalm start off with, with this image? The psalmist, the author, gives us an, an image here that we're supposed to stop and think about. You know, when you think about it, uh, a deer just doesn't wander around the forest until it realizes, oh, like, it's, it's already afternoon, I forgot to drink water, so where's my water now? Uh, a, a deer doesn't do that. And this image depicts an unusual situation. It's, it's a deer that's close to dying from thirst. And I really, I really like how... The picture's not even here yet. Uh, I really like how I pointed out animals are experts in finding water. My cat does that, the deer does that. Yeah, animals have just this instinct of finding water where you would maybe never think of it. But here it's a different case. I've looked for, for images with, that go with Psalm 42, and all of them really shown pictures of a deer drinking water out of like a, a lake or something. But as a matter of fact, Psalm 42 is, a, is, a completely, is completely the opposite. The deer is looking for places that it usually goes to, and the water is not there anymore. There's dryness and there's thirst. That's how this psalm starts us off. And so we should ask ourselves, what is this psalm dealing with? And if you, if you keep on reading the verses like we just did, it becomes clear that the author is talking about something, is wrestling with the question, what if I cannot feel God anymore? What if God is gone? And the author is seeking God's face, but cannot see them and cannot feel it anymore. There has, there has been a relationship, and it seems the relationship is gone. And the author is going through a stage of spiritual dryness. He's longing for God, like a thirsty deer is longing for water. And before we go deeper into that passage, into that psalm, it's always good to ask the question, not only what does the psalm say, but what does the psalm not say? 
Okay, if you read through those 11 verses, you will see nowhere is sin mentioned as the cause of this misery. Okay, because as, as humans, we're wired to say, hey, if something goes wrong, it must be someone's fault, right? That's, that's how it just works. And often enough, that's, that's even true. And it's all, so it's natural to say, oh, I feel so spiritually dry. What did I do wrong? What have I done that God is now hiding from me? Or if you talk to someone else and say, you open up and say, look, I need to share this with you. I don't feel God anymore. Uh, I feel there's this, this drought, this dryness in my faith, in my life. And then people might respond to you and say, well, did you commit any sin? Did you not pray? Did you read the Bible? Did you neglect your ministry? Did you claim God's promises for you? And so on, and so on, and so on. And the bottom line is, they say, you must be doing something wrong. That's why you don't feel God anymore. And we have to remember that sin is a problem. And there are many other psalms and, and passages in the Bible that address this, this issue. There are psalms that talk about sin, the problem of confess, confessing sin, repenting of sin. All these things are important, of course. And maybe you're aware of sin in your life, and that's standing between you and God, and you need to deal with that. Might be the reason for your dryness. But on the other hand, I think it's so comforting to know that there can be other reasons for this, this dryness. The psalm shows that the author kind of opens up his life and he shows he has done nothing wrong. He has done all of his duties. He keeps on, he keeps now in his dryness, he keeps on doing the right things. And still there is this dryness. And so it's only natural that he asks, what's wrong? And if you're, if you're a young Christian and this happens to you, it's, it's, it can be very, very, um, a hard, very hard time. Because you think, well, maybe it was just imagining, it was just a dream. My relationship with God never was real. But it also happens to mature Christians. I mean, that's even more devastating. Because you tell yourself, so um, I'm feeling really disconnected from God. But what will others think if I admit that? So I'd rather play along. Maybe I'll stay, stay in the background a little, little bit. And maybe, and hopefully, everyone will assume that my, my Christian life is just going okay. But this dry phase, it hits without warning, with no reason. And it's twice as hard because you're shocked. First, because it does happen. Then you're overwhelmed, underprepared. We do not know what we should be doing anymore. And this is why God gave us this psalm. So we can understand how to deal with that. So I'd like to point out a couple of verses to you. We cannot go through every single verse. Uh, but let's dig a little deeper and look at this spiritual crisis that we can read about here. So if you read again, just verses 4 and 6. What do we read here? The author remembers something. He used to go to the house of God in Jerusalem, to the temple that's in the south. And now in verse 6, he talks about how he's in a far away, away land. It's really up in the north or like these areas of Jordan and so on. It's more closer to the border of this. It's far away from Jerusalem, far away from the house of God. And what's interesting is, in verse 4, how he says, he went there to the house of God with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He's, what he's missing, first of all, is the fellowship of believers. He thinks of these festive group, meet, group meetings. And I mean, today you, you might think of it as, 
maybe church services or Bible studies or retreats or camps or something like that, uh, there were simply those times where you would remind yourself of the goodness of God, of, of God's deeds. It used to be a time of mutual encouragement. And all of this suddenly is gone now. And these, these times, you might say to yourself, well, maybe I can just be a Christian by myself. Can you really be a Christian by yourself? Does the Bible say so? I think we often, in, in these situations especially, we underestimate the importance of community. Because without community, without fellowship, we will not be able to grow in faith as much. It's rather the opposite. It's we will regress, we will move backwards in our faith. And maybe you can think of a time in your life where you experience that, this kind of community. You know, I mean, do you know this good feeling with people around you that help you to grow in your faith? But then people move on. Maybe you move on. And suddenly you lost this connection. And just like that, you just have to go on without them. And if those friends are gone, you will, your faith will be affected by that somehow. And suddenly God feels so distant. You feel like you're far away from the temple, from the house of God. So, there's a, a couple of applications I want to give you today. Uh, the first application for your life comes from that. If you used to have people like that in your life, if, if you've never had that in your life, do everything you can to surround yourself with, with those kind of people that help you to grow in your faith. I mean, think, think of it. Who can you imagine praying with? Who can you imagine studying the Bible? Who can you be open about your questions, about your insecurities in life, in faith? With whom can you share your mistakes? Who can help you learn more about God? Does anyone come to your mind right now? Does any name come to your mind? And maybe is there some, someone who might need the same thing from you? Maybe just make a mental note right now, or you can even make a written note right now. Uh, and don't forget, seek out those people. Go and ask them. Say, hey, let's, let's spend some time together for that purpose. And maybe they want the same thing as like you do. That's one thing we can take away from, from this first observation. But look, let's look at some other verses here. It says here, verse 3 and verse 9. I really love this, this verse. It's, my, my tears have been my food and, and day and night. My people say to me all day long, where is your God? And then he also says to God, why have you forgotten me in verse 9? When God, why have you forgotten and left me? Where is your God? Under what circumstances do we ask these questions? It's when your circumstances and your, your image of God, if they do not, if they do not match up, okay? Um, when, when you can say, hey, God is good, life is good. No problem, right? But if you have to say God is good and life is bad, how does that work together? That's where it just doesn't match what you thought to be true. And it's, it's really, really normal to say, why is God allowing this to happen? What is happening to me? Have you ever been at this, at this place? And it, this situation then is especially hard when you did the right thing. Maybe you've been in a, in a place with your uh, friends, your families, your colleagues, and they want you to do something 
and you refuse to do it because you say, hey, that is not something that I believe. Like, it, it goes against what, my, what I believe in, my faith. It goes against my God. And you told them, I will never do something like that because of my faith. Or you even made a fool of yourself because you did something. Uh, you told someone at work, hey, I believe in Jesus, something like that. And, and the next thing is something bad happens, something embarrassing happens. And everybody sees it. And of course, everyone's looking at you right now. And they're asking, well, where is your God? And those are those moments where you feel forsaken. Forsaken by God on your own. And you might say these words in one way or the other. You say, there's only dust where I used to find fresh water. Everyone is against me. Even God himself is against me. And you expected life to be easier with God, but now he's making things harder on you. But I think we need to look very close, especially those few words in in verse 3 that I think are very insightful, what the author points out here. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. What is he saying here? He's not just saying, I'm crying. He says his tears are his food. He says that's what he's eating. He, He doesn't eat anything else. He has no appetite. And when? Day and night. He cannot sleep. No food, no sleep. That's his situation. And if you are already feeling down in your life, and then your body quits too, it's no surprise that you feel like you're in a really, really dark place at this point. And the writer stops and and he thinks and he asks himself, what in the world is wrong with me? And he realizes it's not just the insufficient fellowship with other people. It's not just that he's wrestling with his circumstances and the image of God. He notices, he realizes, I am shattered, I'm exhausted, I'm worn out. And is it really a surprise that I do not want to get up and praise God? Is it really a surprise that everything feels so difficult? My body has just checked out. Sometimes physical problems come first and they cause spiritual problems. Sometimes spiritual problems come and they also have an effect or cause physical problems. Um, in the, on that note, I brought you another picture that I, that I personally took. You might see it up here. It's a very nice picture. Uh, that I took in a beautiful area of Austria in Salzburg. There it is. Uh, try to do this wide shot. So this is um, a picture I took on, on the, the highest mountain of, of Salzburg. And just a couple of weeks ago, we as a family took a, a weekend trip there. And it was a really great time. And Salzburg, a great area. And so we, we went there, we went up the mountain, and it's really, like down in the valley, it was 30 degrees plus, and up in the mountain was just 10, 10 degrees, something like that. Uh, so it was really easy to cool off there. So we went up from, from the valley, up to the mountain, down to the mountain, um, through many, many other places. We went back, it was raining, there was sunshine, we went swimming, and our room was really hot too. So uh, at that, after that day, during that night, uh, a really um, yeah, powerful Salzburger thunderstorm, uh, thunderstorm showed up and it was raining and really cooling off the whole place and so we had the windows open and I, I slept right next to the window and the next morning when I got up I felt like there was some, some tension in my back I thought okay, oh, it's probably going to go away in a couple hours 
but it didn't. I took that souvenir home with me to Vienna, uh, and it, it actually kept, went, went on to be even worse for some days. And so I was there, sometimes even waking up at night for, for that, in, that, in that week, and I was, I was feeling this pain. You know, like this, it's kind of a nerve inflammation. Do you know, if you ever had a toothache, yeah? Imagine you have a toothache in your neck and in your shoulder, and the toothache even spreads into your arm and so on. So that's kind of the feeling I had, and I woke up in the night, and I couldn't go back to sleep. And that week especially, it was really hard for me just, you know, to open up the Bible, to, to, to pray to God or anything like that. And I, I felt this kind of spiritual dryness that moment. And I wondered, too, well, has God left me? Has, have I done anything wrong? You, these, these questions come up when you're up at night and you wonder, why God, why am I feeling this pain? And the truth is simply, sometimes it's just a physical problem. I mean, the truth is, God did not leave me. I'm just a guy from Vienna who just does not have enough respect for the weather in Salzburg. That's, that was the main reason. But it's really important not to ignore your physical condition when you are in a spiritual crisis, if you feel like you're wrestling with God. And if someone comes up to you and asks or says, I feel so dried out, I feel so miserable, it is of no help if you respond, say, hey, work a little harder, you will get out of this misery. Or if someone says, well, I think you should pray more, you haven't, you haven't prayed enough. Or if someone says, do good works and your faith will catch fire. That doesn't help in this situation. But what does help? Let's just maybe stop for a moment and summarize what we've gathered so far. Because the, the Bible gives us a very, very holistic image of the human being of us. And so there are three main areas we need to consider. Uh, the Bible says we are emotional beings, so we need friends and fellowship. It also confirms that we are physical beings. Therefore, we need rest. We will physical recreation. And the Bible also confirms that we are spiritual beings. And this is the reason why we need truth. The best counseling session only leads to some good results if there's a realization of truth. So whenever someone mentions to you, hey, I'm not doing well, it's very helpful to first find out is the center of the problem, emotional, physical, spiritual. And sometimes the answer might, say, might be fellowship is the best thing for you. Just hang out with people and you feel better. Sometimes fellowship and community is counterproductive because the first thing you should be doing is go home and sleep for three days before you meet anyone. And sometimes it's not, community doesn't help, sleeping or resting doesn't help, but you need someone to speak truth into your life, and that's what's going to lift you up again. And as it is often the case, and as it's the case here in this psalm, sometimes all three areas go downhill at the same time. And the big question that remains is, how can we cope with that? In verse 4, there's something that the author just starts out with. He says, the things I remember as I pour out my soul. He's pouring out his soul. He's pouring out his heart. He's pouring out his thoughts, his feelings. But not just randomly. He directs those thoughts and feelings towards God. And that's, as a matter of fact, that is his first step of recovery. We just read before, like how, 
how the author used to get so much out of praise and worshiping God. And now what, what does he do since he does not feel it anymore? He doesn't feel God anymore. What does he do? He still commits to praising and to worshiping God. Why? First of all, God is always worthy of praise, right? So that's, of course, that's the reason. But second, the author knows, even in the middle of the dry season, the water revive him, the, the, the water that he's looking for, that's going to refresh him, it is only found in God. So what can we learn from this attitude here? God seems to be far away. What does the psalmist do here? He talks to God about the fact that God seems far away. And that is the second application you can take away from this. That if, you, if you do not get anything... Next slide. If you do not get anything out of worship, of prayer, out of sermons, talk to God about it. Okay? Maybe you've been in situations like that, where, where people say, hey, that was a great... Or someone says, I feel so encouraged from listening to that sermon. But you're thinking, hey, I was in that prayer meeting, or I listened to the same person, I was, I was, same sermon, I was sitting to that, the same person. I prayed with all my heart. I focused. I really listened to the sermon. But I didn't get anything out of all that. And the wrong conclusion is to say, well, probably God has withdrawn from me. But if you do feel this way, if you feel like I cannot get anything out of the praise, of the worship, of the sermon, of the prayer, then talk to God about how you feel about this. Don't just say, well, God is, is walking out of me. Well, therefore, I'll walk out on him. That will show him. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. Rather, keep on seeking him like a deer that pants for the streams of water. The deer will not give up until it has found this water. And Psalm 42 is actually a song. It's a poem. It's a song. It has a chorus as well. Because, as a matter of fact, Psalm 42 continues into Psalm 43. It's one long song. And if you count those choruses in 42 and 43, there are, it's mentioned three times, repeated and repeated over and over again. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. There's this repeating question in this poem. Why am I so down? Why am I so disappointed? The author is trying to find an answer for, this appoint, for, for his disappointment. He, re he realizes something really important. He has hoped in something, and this hope was destroyed. Let me show you something else. Uh, almost a year ago, in a small town in Niederösterreich in Lower Austria called Thunberg, out of the ordinary happened. Okay? Uh, there's this small artificial lake, this reservoir, and uh, there's uh, this, this, um, this dam. And the, the people that realized, the authorities realized they had to do some maintenance on this dam wall. So what they did, they had to drain the whole lake. And since you do not get to see this every day, people from the area, they came and, and looked and uh, used this chance to see the dried out lake here. And uh, so people went up there and they were going on treasure hunts. You know, some of them found old toys. Uh, some of them 
we're looking for gold treasures. Uh, some of them just found old boat parts, and you, you can even see uh, like old sunken boats in, in that uh, lake bottom. Also what emerged, I think it was interesting, uh, another thing, a couple of, of tree trunks. It's like a picture from, taken from the air. Uh, almost 20 years earlier, there has been a, a big flood, and so those tree, tree trunks have been all washed up to the dam wall and have sunken down, and they were still there 20 years later. And the bottom line of this is, you know, when they released this water from the reservoir, things appeared that you usually wouldn't be able to see. And in that sense, a spiritual dry, a spiritual dry season provides us with a great opportunity. Our spiritual dry seasons, they show us what is there at the bottom of our lives. It will show us what kind of treasures you have assumed to be there. And it's also revealed during those times what you've been hoping on and build on your life on. What you thought would carry you through. And as long as the water is there, you might say, uh, tell yourself, you know, everything is okay. Uh, everything is going well because, you know, you have a great treasure at the bottom of your lake. But then, as the water is gone, you look at the bottom of the lake and there's no treasure. There's only mud and there's only old toys or pieces or sometimes you will realize what has been bottling up over the last 20 years that has just been there all the time, but you haven't, you haven't noticed. And those are the times that feel twice as hard, right? Because we feel that God has forsaken us. And our instincts tell us, okay, I don't know why God has left me, but at least I have this treasure at the bottom of my life, which will give me guidance or security. And it's a really dry place. But you have this one hope that you're holding on to. Say, hey, I still have my savings in the bank. I still have my family. I still have my health. But then you realize what he thought was your backup, what he thought was plan B, it's unable to fill your hopes. And it's, it can vanish easily as well. And then you are in the situation that you cry out, God, you have forsaken me. And everything else is also going downhill. What is going on? And I think it can be very liberating, very cleansing once we realize that our hope in plan B has always been very fragile, very weak to begin with. And that's why the psalmist says to himself, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Because if there are no seasons, no, no dry seasons in our lives, we're going to hold on to some kind of hopes and we will hope that they will carry us. What only God can do. And those hopes will never be able to feel that promise. And if that happens, you know, I think what's, what I think is interesting is when God shows you this, it's not you asking the question anymore, where is your God? But actually God asking you, where is your God? What have you built, built your life on? He's, he's going to show you through the dryness what you're really building on. And that's, that leads us to the third application you might see at some point. 
you're going through this kind of season, ask yourself what you have been building on your life. What, it is, what is it that you're trusting for to rescue you in the bad times? Is it God? Is it something else? And again, talk this through, through with God. Everybody knows anyway. He will understand you. He will receive you. The point is that you can guide and choose your own hopes. You know, we always choose to hope in something, sometimes early on in your life. But God is here waiting for you to, to guide your hopes towards him. What else do we read in Psalm 42? How do we even guide our hopes? Okay, you know what the author does is he reminds himself of God's promises, of God's goodness. And he starts preaching to himself. You know, first I told you he's listening to his own heart. He's listening to what his soul is full of and he just pours it out. And now has come the time for him to refill his heart. He's filling his thoughts with the right thoughts. And this is also really important. Because in your mind, you will, if you pour out your heart all the time, you will go, ah, this, this is so bad, and this will go wrong. And I'm, you will tell yourself, maybe I'm, I'm a failure, I'm, I'm incompetent, I'm, uh, this won't work, and all these things. You pour out, you pour out. But if you keep on pouring out, it will just prolong your misery at some point. And that's the time to say, be still, my heart. Listen up, my soul. There's a time for listening to your soul. There's a time for speaking to your soul. And it's very important to closely listen to what, you, what, you, what you're dealing with, of course. But then you can also know what, how to respond to your own heart, to your own soul. Listening well will lead to speaking well. There are so many different thoughts. That you need to feel, that you can fill your soul with. But as we slowly come to an end, let me just point out one more, one big question. I mean, what is the most important thing that your soul needs to hear? What's the most important thing that your soul needs to hear? What can really carry you through? And as we kind of have gone through the psalm now, maybe let's, let's sum it up. Look, we'll quickly. The psalmist, he was thirsty. The psalmist was afraid to be forsaken by God. The psalmist was mocked by other people because God had done something differently than everyone had expected. He had done nothing wrong. He still became isolated and lonely. But can you see what the psalmist could not see? Because we know another story. We know another story of a man who was thirsty. We know, this, we know this story of this man who cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This man who was mocked and told, Well, King of Israel, why don't you just come off the cross? Where is your God? We know this story. But other than the psalmist, other than us, this man on the cross, he really became God forsaken. Why? So we can see what it means to really be separated from God. This separation is so severe, so cruel, so bitter, that God said, 
no person, no, no human being could go through that. And therefore, he chose to put that burden onto his son and sent him for us. And in Jesus Christ, we know how and from what we have been spared. In Jesus Christ, we see how much love the Father has for us. And God the Father couldn't send anything more precious than his own son. He gave his best to save us from eternal separation. And the gospel says we already are in a state of separation because of our sin, because of our imperfections. But it also says whoever trusts in Jesus with their lives will never be separate from God ever. Amen. And when we get this feeling that God has forsaken us, what should we do? What should we tell our souls and our hearts? We look up to the cross and we tell our souls, soul, remember what God has sacrificed up there. I mean, imagine you ever lose a leg, you ever lose an arm. I'm sure you will always, always remember this day and the circumstances of when you lose a very important body part. And even more so, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Do you think they will ever forget that day when they lost each other? It's impossible that they will ever forget. And they did it for a purpose, not just because they felt like it, but they did it to save you and to restore creation. And once we remind ourselves of this pain, of this agony of Jesus Christ, of this pain that God is willing to go through for you, how can we ever, ever think that God would say, well, that's it, I'm out of here. How do you think we can ever say, ever think that God would say, oh, sorry, I forgot about you, and you're not that important to me? We could never think that if we keep the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ before us. And Jesus Christ, he offers you a life of liberation. and he's, He will always welcome you in. And the cross and the resurrection are our assurance. Because for us, death, death is the ultimate separation. It's the ultimate forsakenness. But the reason Jesus Christ, he proved that not even death is, will stand in the way between you and him. So the question is only, will you trust him? Will you trust him in that sense, in that case, day by day? And even when you feel like you're panting for fresh water, and even in those days where you wonder, where is God now? Believe me, once, one more thing. God isn't trying to find out how long you can hold on, how long you can pull through during that dry season. Okay? It doesn't impress God when you say, hey God, look at me, I'm in the dry land, and I've been holding through for such a long time now. I've been carrying this burden. I mean, it's a joke to the burden that he's been carrying for you. But if God is sending the dryness, he might be saying, hey, now do not try to prove yourself worthy through Christ. You already are worthy. What more do you want? So God says, rather, I'm asking you, when will you learn to finally, fully rely on me? All your hopes will not last anyway. So God says, I want to teach you this lesson because I love you. So that this dryness will show you the foundations of your life. That I will become the foundation of your life. And that's what God says. This is why I gave you Psalm 42 and many other passages. It says, remind your soul. Put your hope in God, for you will yet praise him. You will see him as your Savior and your God. 
And I can promise you this, God will carry you through this dryness. You will come out maybe changed, maybe renewed. Maybe you have been growing in this time, in humility, in love, maybe other areas. But you will look back and thank God for that season in your life. So put your, put your hopes in God and not in your own ability to succeed. Only once you stop trying to save yourself can you truly be, let Jesus be your Savior. You will yet praise him. Maybe today is the day, maybe the day is still to come. But for now, hold on to God because he's been holding on to you for such a long, much longer time. And he has promised to carry you through. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it's amazing to think about the burden that you carried for us. It's one thing we didn't deserve. Something we could never put together. Something where we could never succeed. We could never come back to you in your presence and restore the things as they should be. But in our brokenness, we were so lost, unable to repair it, unable to fix it. We thank you for this, this sacrifice that we cannot even fathom, that we cannot imagine how big it is, how big it, what a big sacrifice it was for you to be disconnected from your son and thankful Jesus Christ that he came, he took the burden, and that he says that he is himself the living water, Whoever comes to him will not thirst anymore. And that's a promise that we can even experience in this life and, of course, in the life to come in your presence in eternity. And so we ask you that you help us to guide our hopes, to fix our eyes on you, to find people who help us and to talk through you, through, with you through those uh, issues that we have. And just to have this ex expectation that someday, someday we might even be able to say thank you and praise you for this time in my life. And so we thank you that by this we know that you are a loving Father and you will never let go of us and help us to carry out, carry through and take us into the next day and the day after and the day after until we see you face to face. Pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you.